everyone, and welcome to this week's On the Spot, where we discuss the most recent happenings in the freight market during the week. I'm Zach Strickland, Director of Freight Market Intelligence here at Freightways, and with me as always, John Paul Hampstead, Director of Passport Research. JP? Hey. Welcome. Good to see you again. <laughs> yeah. Um, last week was with Kevin, but um, it's been more of the same. Uh, the freight market continues to turn uh, hotter and tighter. Um, it's been, I don't know, what, what have you been hearing? I mean, there's the, the uh, national tender rejection rate is 20... It's up around 23%. 23.9%. Yeah, 23%, 23 to 24% right now. Uh, tender reject, I guess the real big story this week is the fact that we continue to see the market grow. Uh, we're seeing volumes increase. We're seeing tender rejections increase. Um, you know, they, it took a kind of a step back last yeah, week uh, on the tender rejection rate. But, uh, you know, the volumes continue. They didn't stumble at all. Uh, the volumes in the United States continue to grow. And I think that kept some of that pressure on the, uh, on the market. And carriers right now are really uh, having to decide which accounts they're going to they're going to service. Uh, That's right. Um, I had a conversation with uh, the CEO of a top 25 freight brokerage earlier this week. He said that the market right now is really stressful for freight brokers. Um, they know that what they're doing, if they're if if they've got a lot of um, freight moving at contracted rates, that it's not sustainable. Um, they can't create margin at all without diving into the lowest quality carriers and then you've got service issues and lots more manual work at a time when you know they're, they're working from home they've already got like more loads per person on, on their boards than they know what to do with and they can't really afford to do that so they're, they're essentially losing money on contracted freight they can't keep that up and the decision is you know basically boils down to which accounts do we are we willing to churn um, to make money, yeah, and how you know, and how long do we think this rally is going to last? Um, I think that's the big question on everybody's mind at this point because we, you know, obviously a very volatile year in 2020, and you know we had the lowest historical tender rejection rate just a few short months ago, mm -hmm. and now we're all the way back up to a 2018 uh, style rejection rate, not the highest of all time, mind you, but uh, you know. That's an extreme volatility that is very difficult to manage for brokers, carriers, and shippers, obviously, uh, to an extent. And I think you're making a good point on, you know, on the contracted business for a broker. They don't control the assets. So, so they don't control their costs. It's much more difficult for them to control their costs unless they go and find low-cost carriers across the board. Um, maybe they can manage some of those relationships. And again, this, the transition from a low volatility market in 2019 to a high volatility market is really what makes it more difficult because say they go out last year, they're right. getting the contracted business, they're growing their managed trans side of the business, feel really confident in it, and then 2020 comes along right. and just wrecks all of that. Right, and that was that was really the hard part was that in, in 17 and 18, there was plenty of spot business to go around. You had a lot of growth. Um, a lot of traditional freight brokers were, were able to post really robust growth on spot business. In 2019, a lot of people had to pivot, uh, grow their contracted accounts, and the way they did that was by bidding very aggressively. And you had, and this was, sort of before some of the, the price rationalization took place on the digital broker side as well. So you often had people like 
like Robinson, Uber Freight, Convoy, and some of the other uh, freight brokerages with a lot of capital behind them, really driving down contracted rates um, in an attempt to you know give volumes. Right. right? Um, now that 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 playbook does not work at all, um, and so it's there are there are brokers who are really committed to um, their customers and trying to take care of them and, and service the freight that they said they would and they're you know suffering and paying right they're right I mean um, <laughs> there are other most you know the majority of other 3pls um, are just having to make very tough decisions about you know they're talking to their their business intelligence um, analysts they're they're looking at as much data as they can which is obviously you know it's a difficult time to do that because there's so much confusion in the market. Right. Um, well, this right here, I think, is a good, uh, you know, kind of lesson to take away from this market is, you know, say you're a broker and you've gone to this contracted freight side, you're a shipper, you took advantage of a very soft market in 2019 to br contract back some of, you know, the cast line haul index actually shows that some of those contracted accounts actually pulled back some of their increases from 2018. And um, so, you know, it doesn't always pay off to be the low cost, you know, or the low, uh, the low end uh, chipper or the low end broker. You know, if you beat your rates all the way down to the low end just to win, uh, you know, the lowest cost provider, like you really set yourself up for situations like this. Yeah. Not a lot of people could have predicted <laughs> what what has just occurred in the market. I, I, I don't think that anybody really ever would have called for and, it. And, it, you know, I think when you're a shipper, it matters, you know, what kind of commodity you're moving, how valuable it is, right. what kind of inventory levels you can sustain, and therefore, like, how volatile your seasonal demand is. You know what I mean? Like, like, like sure. if you can, if, if, if you're, a, a, you know, a structural steel manufacturer, right, and you move things and it sits in a yard for a long time before it goes to a job, you know, things right. like that. Like, like there's no rush, right? If you're a retailer, you have to get your product in front of people in order to, you know, get to earn revenue. And so you don't have much choice about when, when you want to move things. Right. So I think, you know, you know, the market itself, we, we've seen things continue to grow in most of the major markets. We took a little breather last week rejection rates kind of settled a little bit in some of the larger markets, not so much in the smaller markets, uh, but this week, again, Los Angeles and yep. Southern California take another big push at volumes, outbound volumes, and again, a lot of that feels like it comes from uh, the, the ocean side. The ocean yeah, side. it definitely is on the ocean side. Um, we're seeing just incredible strength on imports. Um, July was the first month of positive growth for TEU volumes for right. West Coast ports in more than a year. And that number is, that trend is basically going straight up. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the railroads are struggling to deal with contracted customers. They've really, they really, um, you know, they, PSR is about cutting fat from your operation. I feel like Union Pacific cut into the, a little bit of bone, right? right. And now they're adding back power and crews, um, but on a lag to volumes. And they've, they've essentially told customers that they're not accepting spot volumes. Um, they did that by, by raising rates, um, you know, by over $1,000 a box out of California. And so 
there's no the, the intermodal safety valve is not a safety valve right. anymore, right? And so what we've seen <laughs> is we've seen um, more and more um, capacity get sucked into LA, and which is actually interestingly having the effect of uh, ratcheting Dallas even tighter. So Dallas's um, tender rejection rate is above 27%. Yep. It's actually tighter than LA because what, what the rails are doing plus what the imports are doing is pulling so many trucks into LA that like now now Dallas doesn't have enough trucks. Um, yeah, we Chicago were, is rejecting more than fourteen percent. Atlanta is rejecting twenty two percent. A lot of a lot of what I've heard over the last couple of weeks is stories about how carriers are actually you know we saw this in two thousand seventeen uh, with the big produce rush and and obviously increased freight demand, um, but you don't realize that. As carriers are trying to get to places like Los Angeles, they're bypassing Dallas. They're not servicing Atlanta. They're not servicing Phoenix. There's there's all sorts of these bypasses because they're trying to get to uh, you know the best paying freight that they can uh, that they can service. And when you're talking about produce season and produce shipments, the reason that they do bypass all of these you know Dallas markets and all that is because. They get paid so much more to haul some of this high-value freight that's very service-centric. Uh, so that's what we're seeing right now. We've heard a lot of stories about how cares are taking, you know, basically even money getting from going from east to west because they're making so much going from west to east right now. Yeah, and um, it's not just anecdotes. We also see that in the data. Um, we really like our our TCA truckload profitability program data, which gives us a really good view into sort of the middle market, you know, where our tender data is probably, you know, tilted toward larger shippers, larger carriers, truckstop.com data tilted toward brokers and, and smaller um, mm -hmm. carriers. The TCA data is really in the middle, right, where we've got a couple hundred carriers right. with a couple hundred power units each, right, um, is it sort of a general profile. and. What we see there in the early data for July, and some of that, some of this will kind of return to mean a little bit, but we're seeing an increase in empty miles um, in the July data that's being reported, and we're seeing a massive increase in driver revenue per week. Um, and see that that kind of contradictory yeah. if 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 you're if you're and trying no, to think about it. It makes sense because yeah. they're <laughs> they're going where the hot freight is. Right. They're they're willing to to drive empty a little bit more. So mm -hmm. empty mile percentages are now above fifteen percent. Um, they went up almost hundred basis points month over month, mm -hmm. and that's just that's simply because they're managing for yield. They are. Um, yeah, and, and they're moving their assets where they can make the most money. Yeah, this, this is a common occurrence in carrier pricing. You always price into the head haul, you know, and you price your way out of the back haul. Uh, so basically that means that you're going to take, you know, from Seattle to Los Angeles, for instance, you're taking a 130 OR operating ratio to come down, but you're, you're taking a 70 OR to go from L.A. to Seattle. And it, the same happens from, like, Atlanta to Florida and, and vice versa. Yep. Yeah, and so um, it's obvious that the carriers are exercising their optionality. They're being choosy about the freight that they're getting. They're they're picking w the best mix for them. And you know, from what we're hearing, the three PLs are have started to do that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's look a little bit into the future. I mean, we talked about how the ocean freight 
really it doesn't show any sign of slowing down. This is not going to sustain at this level. I don't think anybody thinks that we're going to see, you know, tender volume index going above 15k for six months by. No. You know, it, it's it is 2020, so maybe maybe I'm I'm wrong on that, but. Uh, for now, looking into the near-term future, you look, we're looking at our ocean shipments, which is bookings uh, for things coming across the water into the United States over the next couple of weeks. Uh, there's no sign of slowing right now. And it looks like, you know, import volumes, of course, coming into L.A. The East Coast is finally starting to see uh, significant increases on that end. Savannah, and those bookings, New York. Zach, um, can you tell us a little bit about the lead time for those? So. When, when is it booked versus when the container gets put on the boat versus when it hits the, the West Coast port? So uh, when we talk about bookings, this is stuff with estimated time of departure dates. So we have a week ahead view. So for the next seven days, we're showing 120% year-over-year increases in shippers saying we're scheduling containers moving from you know, China or wherever uh, to the United States. So they haven't yet gotten on the water yet. So yeah. the next seven days still showing significant increases year over year. And then you have another two to three weeks before that stuff, say it's coming from China, uh, two to three weeks before it hits uh, Los Angeles and Seattle and, and ports like that. Then you have to add another week or two before it can get to the East Coast as well. Yeah, it seems like, um, you know, the, the, the moves by some of the container ship lines sort of signaled their confidence in, in, the, in, in trans-Pacific yeah. volume. So... Uh, Mediterranean Shipping Company kind of went outside of the 2M alliance that it has with Maersk to open up a new service called Santana that's going to be from, um, you know, well, it's a Trans-Pacific service, but they're adding that in, in later this month. And so that's kind of like, they're basically taking that on by themselves, just, I think, you know, trying to utilize their assets and, and, and make some money in this, in this very hot ocean market right now. Yeah, and then the rates are going sky high. Greg Miller wrote a great piece. Of, I want to say it was a week and a half ago talking about that. Uh, you know, and then, of course, we just had record volumes in the port of Los Angeles yeah. uh, for July. Right, right. So, and this is all happening you know, as the, in, you know, our domestic industrial market is just now starting to get going. So, I so think, when, you think about, when you think about it, seven, seven days out, three weeks, that's a month, right? Mm-hmm. So... Hitting the port 120% up um, a month from now, and th- that puts us in the late September, right? Mm-hmm. So that that pretty much carries us into peak. Yep. Um, so I think it's safe to say that like we believe that demand for trucking transportation in the U.S. will be strong through the rest of this year. More than likely, yeah, because we're getting this is the peak season for the ocean side. Then we've got retail season. God knows what that's going to look like this year in terms of consumer demand. So right. still a long way to go and a lot to, uh, to discover as this moves forward. And, of course, that'll wrap up our show this week. JP, thank you as always. And thank you, of course, for watching. And be sure to check out FreightWaves.com for any future freight market updates and see what happens next. Have a great week.